0: Amen. Well, please do turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, to the passage that I read earlier and have that open in front of you as we look at it together. Uh, For those that have been following along with us over the summer Sunday evenings, we've been working through a series where we've been looking at prayers in the Bible from right across Scripture with the hope that studying these prayers will inject some fresh insight and oxygen into our own prayer lives. We need this because it's so easy to get complacent in prayer, to drift in prayer, or to get stale in prayer. So I think regularly we need to hold the plumb line of God's Word up against our prayer lives, to look at the prayers of Scripture and to make sure that we are praying as we have been taught to pray in Scripture. If there's ever a prayer that should be included in such a series on prayer, it is certainly this prayer we're looking at this evening, the Lord's Prayer. And as we think about it, I want to ask, first of all, have you ever noticed when reading through the Gospels just how often we see Jesus in prayer? Just to give a sample, Luke records for us. At Jesus' baptism, he was praying as the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. In Luke 6.12, Luke tells us that Jesus spent a whole night in prayer before he selected carefully his 12 disciples. Matthew tells us in Matthew 14, after the feeding of the 5,000 and a very busy period of ministry, Jesus withdrew by himself to pray. In Luke 10, 21, Luke tells us that there was a time when Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit as he addressed prayer and praise to his Father. At the grave of Lazarus in John 11, Jesus prays out loud before he raises Lazarus. We see him in Gethsemane praying in his hour of agony on route to the cross he prays father glorify your name in john 17 we see jesus high priestly prayer even jesus final words before his death were offered as a prayer to his father receive my spirit Jesus' disciples would have looked on at this. They would have observed Jesus' dependence on the Father, demonstrated by his prayer life. And it's no wonder that one day they came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. The way you pray, teach us to pray. Teach us to depend like that. Give us words, help us. Luke tells us in Luke 11 that Jesus answered their question by giving them this model prayer that we're looking at this evening, the Lord's Prayer. And what a gift this is to us. Jesus has not left us in the dark about how we are to pray. As well as modeling prayer for us through his life, he has given us a model prayer. Something we can use as a guide in our own prayer lives. I was thinking about this earlier and thinking it's kind of like one of those paint by numbers things. You know where you see a a little thing and you paint that number and that number and that number. In a sense the Lord's Prayer gives us guidelines. And we're to fill out every line. And use each prayer, each line as a starting point so that we can build on it and build On this spinal cord of prayer, bones and flesh and life. We're going to look at the prayer in Matthew's gospel this evening. And this prayer actually forms a part of a wider section of teaching on prayer in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is perhaps the most significant, in fact it is without doubt the most significant place where Jesus teaches on prayer in the gospels. If you look there at chapter 6, verses 5 to 15 that I read earlier, you'll see that Jesus' teaching on prayer consists of four main instructions. First, in verse 5, he instructs his hearers on how not to pray. Don't show off. Try to look super spiritual in front of others. Then, second, he instructs his hearers in verse 6 on how they should pray by focusing prayer. On God. Then third, in verses 7 and 8, once again, he teaches them how not to pray, babbling on with words that are not guided with careful thought, beginning to recite just words as if it's some kind of incantation where you check your mind out and just say things over and over again. He says, don't pray like that. That's how pagans pray, Then fourth, in verses 9 to 15, another section on how to pray. So you get a how not to pray, how to pray, how not to pray, and how to pray. And this second how to pray section comes in the form of this model prayer given to help us enjoy meaningful communion with our heavenly Father. And what I'm going to do this evening is just draw out three very simple and practical lessons on prayer from the Lord's Prayer to help us give shape to our own prayer lives. In a sense, to again, just let the plumb line of the Lord's Prayer just set it up against our prayer lives and allow it to give shape to them. So three very simple lessons on prayer from the Lord's Prayer. Lesson number one. Try to begin your prayers all your prayers by remembering and adoring the one to whom you're coming. Try to start all of your prayers by taking a moment to just remember who it is you're coming to and to adore him. In verse 9, Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The opening line of the Lord's Prayer models for us an approach to God where we remember that we are coming to God as our Father. Jesus addressed God as Father in a very special and unique way throughout his life, as the eternal Son of God. But he also told his disciples that in him they could speak of God as their Father too. So in John 20, 17, Jesus says, Go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Did you hear that? To my Father and your Father. There's something wonderful in that that Jesus would say, I'm going to your Father. He's your Father. He's my Father and he's your Father. And this is a real fatherhood. In fact, it's the most real fatherhood in the universe all other fatherliness derives its meaning from the fatherliness of god earthly fatherhood is just a faint echo of the true fatherhood of god romans 8:14 to 17 is a passage where the apostle paul makes clear how this happens as christians we receive the spirit who makes us sons and daughters of god in christ In verses 15 and 16, we read, The Spirit whom you received brings about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. So these opening words of the Lord's Prayer remind us that prayer is always to be relational. It is relational and real. Children coming to share time with their father. I've used the illustration of my own children loads of times, and you're probably tired of hearing it, but when my children are excited, they run to me and say, Daddy, come and see. And sometimes it can be in the middle of something important, and they're like, Daddy, come and see. No, you've got to come and see. You've got to come and see. And then you go and see, and it's, you're like, it's not that important to me, but you sort of... <laughs> Grace built a wee card. She had these wee pear things the other day, and she just built them into a wee tar. And she's like, Daddy, you've got to come and see right now when they fall and hurt themselves, they reach up. This morning, I was sitting down in a cup of coffee around the table with the kids, looking forward to a nice relaxing moment, and Grace started screaming. And we we're like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And then the boy said, Daddy, there's a wasp. There was a wasp that I had swatted, and it was lying on the floor. I forgot to sweep it up. She stepped on it, stung her wee fit. But she runs, you know, she just naturally runs uh, where she might find help. Of course, I'll lift her up and try and comfort her if I can say, what's wrong? And get over the frustration of my nice coffee moment being ruined. Sometimes the kids come to me and ask me questions they don't understand. I had a lovely chat with Grace again. It's funny, all Grace here. The other night in bed, she said, Daddy, you know, when you die, it's going to heaven a dream. Interesting question, isn't it? I said, no, it's real. And we had a lovely conversation about the Lord in that moment. You know, in this section of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. The word Father appears six times. It's very clear what Jesus is doing. He says when it, you come to think about prayer, and when you come to pray, the word Father should never be far from your thoughts. Jesus said, Pray then like this. Our Father I had a conversation with a friend recently who was having a bit of a hard time with his earthly father, and he said, "I wish I had a dad who just listened to me and understand me." What a joy it was to be able to remind this friend that as a Christian, they do have a heavenly Father who does listen. Patty reminded us last week from Jonah chapter 2, Jonah in the depths cried out and the Lord was attentive to his cry. We have a father who accepts us in Christ and who invites us to come. The word father at the beginning of the Lord's prayer communicates an intimacy, an invitation to intimacy with God. But the opening line doesn't just say, Our Father, it says, our Father in heaven. And I always love to remind people that this is not so much about where God is located. It is about God's place of supreme authority. He's our Father, and He rules the universe. Enthroned in sovereign power, not just willing to help us, able to help us. This is a Father who we come to, who is totally committed to us for our good and has all power to care for us and watch over for, over us. And there's another lesson for us here. Jesus teaches us that our approach to God in prayer should be balanced. The God who invites us near is our Father. But let's never forget he is holy. And when people came wrongly to this God in the Old Testament, they dropped dead. So we do not just come in the way that we think is wise through our own merits. We come in the way that the Father appoints. And that is in Jesus' name, through the accomplishments of his Son. But as we remember God for who he is as our father and our sovereign ruler, we also learn in this opening line and opening request of the prayer that our approach to God is not just remembering who he is, but also adoring him for who he is. Jesus said, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now the, the word hallowed means may your name be holy. May all that you are be set apart, reverenced, valued. Name, hallowed be your name. Name means the person of God, his person, his works, everything that there is to do with him. Hallowed be your name is a prayer that God's name would be truly known and treasured. And we pray this prayer on two levels. First, we pray it for ourselves. I try to make this, I have it written in a little book for my Monday morning prayer. Hallowed be your name. This week, as I do my sermon prep, as I go out and about, as I do this and that, hallowed be your name. We pray this for ourselves that God's name would be hallowed, reverenced, valued in our own lives. But then also, we pray that others would hallow God's name too, that he would be hallowed in our families with our children, in our workplaces, hallowed in our world, hallowed across the nations. I heard one person say that the Lord's Prayer is the greatest world mission prayer in the Bible. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name among all the nations. So, first lesson. Try to begin your prayers by remembering and adoring the one to whom you're coming. I'd really encourage you to try and just get into a habit of doing that, so that it's your reflex, maybe for many of you it already is. Just take a moment to remember our Father in heaven. Intimacy, sovereign majesty, what a privilege. We can come. Lesson two. Try to get into the habit of seeking first The kingdom in your prayers. It's very easy to approach God and to remember that He's holy, etc., and then to just go straight to a a list of petitions that are about personal things in our lives. We want God to help us with some way. In in some way with these personal things. And again, that can be okay, but verse 10 here presents us with a stage before we do this where we seek the concerns of the kingdom first before we seek petitions about our own personal things. Now the Lord's prayer is never to be a straitjacket. And you can't pray unless you pray in this order. No. It gives us shape that we can build on and so much freedom. However, We find in these two requests, in verse 10, something that I think is very helpful to build into our prayer lives as a habit. We find here two requests that focus on the advancement of Christ's kingdom in the world and in our own hearts. And when you see this in the New Testament prayers, you can't unsee it constantly. The Apostle Paul, for example, prays that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, that we would be uh, filled with the love of God and know how high and wide and long and deep it is. And you start to realize all of those are, are essentially prayers that the kingdom would come in our lives more fully. God's rule, God's reign, God's authority would invade our lives on a whole other level. So may your kingdom come. On one level is a prayer for the advance of the gospel and the extension of the kingdom in our own lives and in the lives of others. But it's also a prayer for the kingdom to come in its fullest sense in the return of Jesus at the end of time. The prayer, may your kingdom come, it really flows right out of that opening line, hallowed be your name. And I would encourage you to get into the habit of praying. The may your kingdom come prayers. And pray them from the inside out. What do I mean by that? Well start asking as I said for the kingdom to come in your own life more fully. Kingdom in scripture and in the gospels means the rule and reign of God. It's not so much like a, just a location. It means an act of rule. God's domain where he rules. So when you pray, may your kingdom come, you're saying, may your kingly rule just govern my life completely. May the culture and character of the kingdom begin to govern my life more fully. As I said, when you see this in the New Testament, you can't unsee it. Prayers that are to do with the kingdom extending into our lives are everywhere. Prayer for personal sanctification. And then we pray it not just for ourselves, but for our families, our friends. I find this such a helpful prayer in intercession. May your kingdom come, Lord, in Hudson's life and in Elliot's life, and in Grace's life, and in Lindsay's life more fully. May your kingdom come in my mum and dad's life and Lindsay's mum and dad's life and her sisters. You know, you just just pray, May your kingdom come. Penetrate into their hearts and lives, Father. The next request then, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a request that God's will would be done fully, wholeheartedly, and speedily as it is done in heaven. When I ask my kids to do something, sometimes they jump to it, but more often than not they're a bit slow and they can be a bit begrudging when they're asked to tidy their room. We are to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is without delay and with delight. And I find this section of the prayer so challenging because you can only really start to pray, may your kingdom come and may your will be done when you actually value the extension of God's kingdom and care about it. We can often be more concerned with our little kingdoms, our little empires, our will being done than we care about God's name, God's kingdom and God's will being done. And when we just pray about our own little kingdoms, that's fine, but sometimes we can shrink our vision down and forget that we're part of something far bigger than just our little worlds. We always try here at Great Vic to have a section where we pray, not just for local matters, but for international matters. Always wanting to try and make sure a Sunday doesn't go past where we pray for world mission. We want people to know that our God is not just the God of a wee group of people, here in Belfast, but the God who reigns over the nations. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, nothing tells the truth about the state of your Christian life as much as your prayer life. Man, that's searching, isn't it? You peel everything away. Here's what tells you really about the state of your, 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 your Christian life, your prayer life. So your prayers reveal your priorities. What I wonder what your prayers say about your priorities. So that's the second lesson from the Lord's Prayer on prayer. We first remember who we're coming to and we seek to adore the one to whom we're coming. Second, I would encourage you to try and get into the habit of seeking first kingdom matters. And then, thirdly now, the third lesson is we can then ask, seek, and knock about everything. And I'm taking that phrase from the next chapter, Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And then again, the illustration of a child coming to his father, seeking a good thing is used. And there in verse 11, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Get those words ingrained in your heart. How much more (laughs) will your Father who is in heaven, that echoes the Lord's Prayer intentionally, our Father in heaven, how much more will he give good things to those who ask him? Our Father says, In my son, the way is open. So ask, seek, knock. That's continual. Keep coming. Keep asking about everything. The next three requests then that are kind of just, again, like spines that you're supposed to then branch and build on, the next three requests in verses 11 to 13 model different kinds of petitions you can summarize them all nicely with three Ps. They're prayers for provision, pardon, and protection. That's clearly what you have in front of you. First, this prayer for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Martin Luther helpfully comments on this, saying that bread here is a symbol for everything necessary. Everything necessary for the preservation of our lives. Food, health can involve weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, peace, praying about all of these matters. We can call on the Lord and ask, seek, and knock, bringing to him all of our needs, big and small, and everything in between. We may not be often in the West here, in our own circumstances, literally seeking just enough food for each day. There are some, of course, who are in that position. But if we're not, we should certainly still be acknowledging that every single thing we have comes from the gracious hand of God. Having lived in Africa, uh, I have come to appreciate just every time I turn on the tap. Well, I should appreciate every time I turn on the tap. But often that's one of the places I go to and I just say, thank you, Lord, I can just do that. And fresh drinking water comes out. That is an incredible blessing. Even the rain, sometimes rebuke myself when I complain about too much rain in Northern Ireland. I think we need rain to live. We need water to live. And the more we see places experiencing droughts now, I think we'll probably come to appreciate it all the more. But if you hear me complaining, rebuke me in light of what I'm saying here. But we come to God with our needs. We remember that everything we have comes from him and that everything we need is found in him. The next request then after prayer for provision is this prayer for pardon, forgiveness in verse 12. Much has been written about it and about the way it's written here. Is our forgiving others in some way the path to being forgiven by God? Well, Jesus expands on this verse at the end of the Lord's Prayer, making it very clear that forgiving and being forgiven are very tightly connected in his thought. And light is shed on these verses by the very helpful parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew eighteen twenty-three to 35. Do you remember the guy who was forgiven a large debt? And then he went out from there and he found someone who had a small debt against him and he refused to forgive them. And Jesus told that story to just speak of how inappropriate and unfitting it is for one who has been forgiven a huge debt of sin to hold any lesser debt against your offenders. The point of the parable teaches us that true, a true experience of forgiveness from God bears the fruit of a forgiving disposition towards others. It's not easy. And yet the gospel power at work within us by the power of the Holy Spirit can bring us beyond ourselves to the point where we can say like Jesus, Father, forgive them. We can't, of course, forgive in the unique way Jesus forgives. But we can offer forgiveness because we have been forgiven such a great debt. Guilt over sin destroys all real vibrant Christian living. And so we must come to God daily seeking forgiveness and to appropriate again each day the the, the truth that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't know how any Christian could could get keep going if they didn't daily preach both their sin to themselves and preach the incredible relief there is in Christ. I'm nearly certain we will all drift steadily if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You'll just take grace for granted, you'll drift. So you preach to yourself. In 1 John 319 you have an amazing passage where the Apostle John speaks of setting our hearts at rest in God's presence that is a beautiful picture of what we do when we preach our sin to ourselves and we remember our sin and our condemnation and then we allow to to break in the wonders of grace and daily we seek to put our hearts at rest again in God's presence note that down first John three nineteen, a beautiful text and I'd love to just preach on that single text sometime So that's our prayer for pardon. We pray for provision, we pray for pardon, and then the third kind of example we're given here is, again, one that has caused a lot of debate. We pray for protection. The prayer there is, lead us not, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I guess the question that we all ask is, how could God lead us into temptation? In James 1.13, we're told God doesn't tempt anyone. And that's a, a wise question to ask, but we shouldn't force, again, necessarily our systematic theology category right into this text, because I don't think Jesus was just thinking of that in that moment. I don't think it's too complicated what Jesus is actually saying here. He seems to be just engaging in a common literary device where we express something by negating the contrary. Now, what does that mean? Well, we do this all the time in Northern Ireland. Not a bad morning. What does that mean? It's a good morning. Or someone might say, How did I do with that? What would we say? Not bad what do we mean? You did well. People do this all the time, and I actually think that's probably what's going on here in the Lord's Prayer. Here's how I understand verse 13. The emphasis falls on their quest that God would lead us and protect us. Lead us, not into a place of temptation. That would never be a good thing. Lead us away from temptation. Don't make us too vulnerable to Satan. Don't lead us into any evil, but far from it. Protect us. Deliver us from the evil one. So it's a prayer that God would lead us into a good place and protect us. And I don't think we're supposed to force it into anything more than that. Physical needs, spiritual needs, moral needs are all covered in these three petitions for provision, pardon, and protection. And you can take those headings and then under them, just go to town. Just pray. Build your prayers on those three columns and let them branch out wide. So let me ask Are you asking and seeking and knocking about everything? Your Father wants you to come to Him, and He wants to give good things. To those who ask him. You never want it to be said of you, you do not have because you did not ask. But let's remember that doesn't necessarily mean the red Ferrari that I've always dreamed of. This is about necessities, not luxuries. So, this is the end of the prayer here in verse 13 as we have it now in most uh, modern-day English translations. But usually, you'll find a footnote as well. The ESV has this footnote, certainly, that tells us that some later manuscripts include a doxology here. Yours is a kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how I certainly memorized it in both my primary school and uh, secondary school growing up. What are we to do with this? Well, here's just a very simple narrative explanation. All known original manuscripts before the 4th century don't include the doxology. It's just not there. This tells us that the doxology was probably not originally part of the prayer. However, from very early on, it was added into church liturgy. Kind of fitting, rousing end to the prayer. And you could see how that great rousing into the prayer might creep its way into some of the 5th century and onwards manuscripts. You could see, for example, a scribe working from memory, writing out the prayer, and the church liturgy has included this ending, and he just puts it in the margin. And then it finds its way from the margin in a manuscript into the main text come 5th century. And then people start to copy it afterwards and goes, hmm, is that part of the original or is, it in the manu- or is it in the margin? And I actually think the ESV, NIV, for example, get it right by putting it in a margin note because that's what it is. But I don't think it's a, something we need to worry about in any way because it's theologically true. It can be um, certainly um, drawn in from other places in Scripture. And uh, I have no problem to appending it to the Lord's Prayer uh, as has been the habit of the church for so many years. May the kingdom, yours is a kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there are three lessons on the Lord's Prayer for you this evening. Try to remember who it is you're approaching and adore him. Try to seek first the kingdom in your prayers, and then ask, seek, and knock about everything. Back to something I said then at the beginning, just to close. We can use this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in our everyday lives in so many ways. And I would really encourage you to use memorized prayers like this um, to build in your quiet rest moments in your mind a place of communion with God. If you're walking or you're riding your bike or you're cooking or you're doing the dishes or you just have a down moment, you can go right back in your heart and mind to our Father in heaven. Ponder and meditate on the fatherliness of God and then ponder and meditate on the fact that He's sovereign And then you can just start turning over those prayers in your heart and mind and building on the Lord's Prayer, filling in our Father in such wonderful, intimate ways. That's how Martin Luther speaks of treating the Lord's Prayer. That's what he said he did, that great reformer with the Lord's Prayer. I've shared this with you before, but he wrote a letter to his barber Uh, Peter Spring in 1535, his barber asked him how to pray. Luther writes an incredible line. You can Google this online and find it. Luther's letter to his barber on prayer. And he speaks of taking the Lord's Prayer line at a time and using each line as a melody line that he harmonizes off. And I would encourage you to do this. And we'll close with this. Luther at the end of the letter writes, this in short is the way I like to use the Lord's Prayer when I pray it. To this day, I suckle at the Lord's prayer like a child. And as an old man, I eat and drink from it and I never get my fill. It's the very best prayer, even better than the Psalms, which are so very dear to me. It's surely evident that a real master composed and taught it. And that is so true. So pray then like this. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and respond by singing of the higher throne that we come to as we come to our God. Spirit be with us all evermore.